bring this meeting to order. Before you get started, um, I just wanted to make an announcement that uh, Commissioner Jim Moran is out of town on business and will not be blessing us with uh, his presence this evening. Fortunately or unfortunately, it's just the four of us. So take it away, Todd. All right, thank you. Welcome to the Queen Anne's County Commissioner's Meeting. This is a public meeting that is being aired live on our local cable television station, QAC-TV7. These media broadcasts provide county citizens an opportunity to watch and review our scheduled public meetings. In addition to our live audience this evening, we are providing remote options for citizens to watch and participate in county commissioner meetings. Citizens may watch our meeting live on our website at qac.org live or on our television channel, Breezeline Channel 7 and High Definition Channel 507. Citizens may also participate by joining the live Zoom meeting by going to qac.org slash public comment. And citizens may also email comments to public comment at qac.org. All comments received will be summarized during the press and public comment period on this evening's agenda. We acknowledge your participation and by attending you acknowledge that this session is both recorded and aired. Press and public comment will be taken and is limited to three minutes per person. If you do care to speak, please sign up at the information table in our lobby. Comments longer than three minutes can be submitted in writing for the commissioner's review. We will now stand and be led in the Pledge of Allegiance by Commission Vice President Phil Duminell. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, liberty and justice. So if we could please remain standing and take a moment of silence, uh, put our thoughts and prayers with the Baker and Ewing family with the passing of Holly. Thank you. Okay, commissioners, that brings us to the, uh, the approval of this evening's agenda. So your agenda for tonight's uh, meeting, January 23rd, along with the regular session minutes, the closed session minutes, and the sanitary commission minutes from January 9th have been circulated for review. Do we have any additions or corrections? A motion to add three additional uh, action items on tonight's agenda. Second. We have a motion and we have a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? So moved. Motion to accept the agenda as amended and all minutes as submitted. Second. We have a motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. Opposed? So moved. Okay, thank you, commissioners. Uh, we didn't have any uh, closed session items for this evening, so we can move directly into press and public comment. But we appreciate all citizens for taking time to express views to the county commissioners. Comments are limited to three minutes per person. Comments longer than three minutes can be submitted in writing. This commission respects your desire and right to convey your message freely. When you come forward, please speak clearly at the standing microphone. State your name, your address, and your topic of interest. And in keeping, keeping with the dignity of our office, we ask that all views be expressed in a respectful and civil manner. All right, we have, um, first up, George Foss. Yes, you may recall I appeared at the last meeting and asked the commissioner about restoring um, WBOC to Breeze Line. 
and I returned to see if the county had been able to take any action in that regard, um, because as you know, that's the best coverage for our area for, for news, sports, and weather. So I wanted to follow up and see if you had been able to do anything to help, help get that restored. Right, so at some point during the meeting, we're probably gonna bring everybody up to speed as to where we are. Because um, it's really a public comment, it's not a Q&A session right. right now. Um, do you know when you'll be commenting on that? Um, I can assure you that I will reach out to you uh, before the end of the day tomorrow, if you're not gonna stick around. Um, I'll stick around for a while. How long okay. do you expect it would be? Uh, I can't be sure. Okay. No later Thank than you, seven. Next up is Jay Falstead. Good evening, Commissioners. Jay Falstead, Queen Anne's Conservation Association. Thank you for the opportunity to speak. Um, later this evening on your agenda in the action items uh, number four and five, I just want to urge um, favorable support on both of these items um, for a variety of reasons. One, they're both very popular, but two, they are really an investment for the future. And um, conservation and preservation of farmland in Queen Anne's County has always been a high priority. Uh, as I say, both of these are very popular. What makes tonight even a little more important though is the return on the investment. So um, I know Donna Smith has made a request. Uh, contained within her letter though, is a detail that I think is pretty exciting because it represents a five to one return on the investment that Queen Anne's County would put into this program. That is unheard of, a five to one return on something like this. So as I say, it's an investment for the future. Um, I hope you'll vote favorably on it and thanks very much for the time. Thank you. Uh, next we have Aaron. Cope. Thank you very much. But I waived my time because I saw the agenda that I'm up next for the presentation. Oh. All right. Okay. Oh, right here. <laughs> oh, all right. Perfect. Um, that's all that had signed up. Is there anybody else that would like to speak? Anybody else? Nobody online? Okay. We're done. Okay, commissioners. Uh, we can move into the presentations portion of the meeting this evening. So if you want to turn to uh, tab number six. Uh, the first presentation is item one on page one, and we have um, Aaron Carr, the Enrollment and Outreach Specialist for Big Brothers and Big Sisters of the Eastern Shore and Proclamation Number 2201, National Mentoring Month. Excuse me. Please, sit, right sit down, make yourself comfortable. Oh my goodness, fancy. Hello, I appreciate y'all's time and y'all being here today. My name is Erin Carr. I'm a native of Queen Anne's County, but recently I have moved down to Salisbury to work for Big Brothers Big Sisters of the Eastern Shore. I spent about a year as a mentor myself and I can personally attest to the uh, impact of this program. I'm now acting as an enrollment specialist to enroll both mentors and littles in Queen Anne's County and all nine counties on the Eastern Shore. Our mission is to create and to support positive mentoring relationships that ignite the promise and power of youth. As a mentor, I spend about two hours a week with my little painting rocks in the park. Her attitude went from being a very depressed middle schooler to she was unsure of herself and then just through painting rocks and walking around the park and spending some time with her, she began to express herself. She stopped talking back to her mom 
She also started to be more comfortable in school. So personally, I've seen the effects, but let me just share 90% of the students that go through our program come out with better life hope, like life expectancy, they have a better outlook on life, they do better in school. Most 90% uh, of our program participants graduate high school. Um, we have worked with over 900 children in how many? Over 900 children 900. in 2023, and we hope to exceed that in 2024. We have provided over 2,000 resources. We are looking to expand our training and workshop capacities, and we are looking for more business partnerships and opportunities for outreach and networking. So, gentlemen, I have um, some brochures here, if you wouldn't mind passing this down for me. With my information and contact there, if this is something that you are interested in and would like to deepen our partnership forward, please reach out to me. Reach out to my um, supervisor, Jessica Mims. And thank you again for uh, letting me be here today. Thank you. Thank we you. have a proclamation. We have a proclamation for you. Oh, All right. So this is uh, Proclamation 24-01. Whereas uh, January 2024 will mark the 22nd anniversary of National Mentoring Month, an annual campaign to focus attention on the need for mentors. And whereas Queen Anne's County honors volunteer mentors who support young people by showing up from, for them every day and demonstrating their commitment to helping, helping them thrive. And whereas mentoring has proven to be an effective strategy to increase the life opportunities of all young people. And whereas the quality mentoring promotes healthy relationships and communication, positive self-esteem, emotional well-being, and growth of a young person and their relationships with others. And whereas, with the support of the county, state, business, and community leaders, the Maryland Mentor has helped establish mentorships with youth, youth across the county and state and provided young people with the opportunities to succeed. Now, therefore, we, the county commissioners of Queen Anne's County, do hereby support the nation in proclaiming January 2024 as National Mentoring Month in Queen Anne's County and recognize and acknowledge the importance of mentoring programs, signed by all of the commissioners. Thank you very Thank much you for all your work. Thank you for Thank your you. commitment. Aaron, Aaron, can you share your contact information for those? I absolutely can. Um, so if you are watching, my phone number is 410-543-2447, or you can email me as Aaron. Um, it's E-K-A-R-R-H at shorebaybiddle.org. Thank you. Thank you. All right, commissioners, our next presentation is uh, we have uh, Proclamation 24-02 for Human Trafficking Awareness Month. Are the guests here for that? I don't see them. Okay. All right. Well, we'll read it. Any, we'll go ahead and. We can hold Patrick, off. Patrick, you'll read it. We, we can hold, hold off. Maybe, maybe they'll show up. Maybe they'll come. Let's do that. Yeah. Okay. We can move on to um, uh, presentation number three uh, from Amy Mordock. She's here this evening. Our Director of Planning and Zoning, and she's going to provide her uh, quarterly update. So, Amy, come on up. And this is uh, in your in your books uh, presentations, tab six, item three, pages three through nineteen. And we should have it up on the screen as well. You gotta, you gotta make up for 30 seconds. I can, I can do that. 
So good evening. And just to note, that I was last here in March, uh, and Vivian Swenson and I gave you an update. Um, and, but now we have end of the year statistics, and I won't bore you with reading through the whole presentation because you have it, and the, um, the citizens have the presentation accessible on the website. Uh, but just some highlights uh, to note that you will see our housing numbers uh, continue to go up every year. So. Where do I point this? Oh, too fast. Okay. There we go. Um, you will see that there's a steady increase in uh, the number of housing units that are constructed in the county. We've had a really big bump uh, in 2023 with 401 housing units. And we've had a steady increase in the past decade. I would note that the increase that you're seeing now is due in large part to the construction at the at Four Seasons, that build out, construction at Perry's Retreat, and the Postal Road apartments. Our statistics include both single family and multi family dwellings. And I mean, is that units or is that uh, <coughs> permits? Those are units. Okay, so that's total living units, not permits. Okay. Yes. Um, yes, those, this number includes the new... Apartments uh, and all. Hmm? It includes apartments and everything. It does. Okay. It includes apartments. Gotcha. 40% of uh, those numbers represent uh, fee simple, non-age restricted, single family dwellings. 35% offer uh, age restricted dwelling units and 17% of our housing stock in the last year have been apartment units. We point this out because uh, there is a large state initiative to address affordable housing. Uh, these are some of the ways we are already starting to do so and will continue to do so. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh, you will see that our uh, building permits are steady at about 2,000. Um, we're just below 2,000 last year. We had a little more. <clears throat> but that's still um, a nice number of, of building permits every year. And we did see an increase in building permits around the uh, COVID years. There were a lot of smaller construction projects during that time. We saw a big influx of renovations, uh, small accessory structures, um, and projects <coughs> like that. Well, permits could be a garage or a extension of someone's house mm -hmm. yep. or just side of it got it could be a renovation could be a shoreline erosion control permit um, the planning commission uh, and that uh, those permits are the end results of a lot of uh, planning commission reviews and board of appeals reviews and other administrative reviews uh, so both of our divisions work very closely with each other to make sure we're streamlining those reviews to get people to the permitting phase. But before they get there, sometimes uh, they have to go through our planning commission project reviews. Uh, we did not have as many citizen-sponsored text amendments last year. We only had one, and that one has not proceeded uh, through the process. It is still on hold. Uh, but we did initiate... Um, our update to the code. And so we did that, we're going to start doing that in phases just to make sure that we're moving expeditious, expeditiously with the code. And where we started was 
with the uh, airport uh, gateway district to make sure that we were starting to look at viable mixed use <coughs> development um, as directed by our comprehensive plan. So that staff initiated text amendment and the affiliated map amendment marked the beginning of our um, comprehensive code update. Uh, we had about, we had five site plans that were approved during the year, a subdivision, multiple concept plans. Uh, we did not have any extensions and the extension requests uh, have reduced ever since our planning commission approved a policy change where we used to make projects come back on a six month basis and get renewals but the letter of the law gives them a two-year window <coughs> to do so. Uh, it had been common practice to step back into the Planning Commission to get those extensions, and we don't do that anymore. Uh, so that's helped us to streamline reviews. Uh, we have had growth allocations that we have reviewed, uh, but as you know, they take a while, so we didn't officially have an actual new submittal last year, although we were working on the armored storage project. <clears throat> and reviewing a proposed concept. Our Board of Appeals heard 23 cases. They heard 14 variances, nine conditional uses, and there were no appeals of any administrative decisions. What are uh, some examples of the variances for the people who are watching? So most of the variances uh, are relative to setback variances for expansions of dwellings or redevelopment on grandfathered lots where it's very difficult to meet a setback requirement, either with an expansion of your house or a new garage. Most of the variances are specific to residential setback variances. Um, conditional uses can be uh, very complicated, like a mining operation or um, a cell tower operation. They can also be extensions of peers. And our Board of Appeals, in a work session, asked us to look at that um, conditional use as relates to a peer extension, feeling that uh, rather those cases should be treated as variances because we're looking at bulk standards. And so this board put that forward to our Planning Commission for review, and that review will happen at our next um, meeting in February. So those are some examples, and I'll also go through some of the conditional uses uh, that were um, granted uh, in this last year. And like I mentioned, uh, we are down on building permits, but have remained uh, pretty steady, and we have approved almost 300 square feet of uh, commercial space in this last year. And I'll start to talk about some of those projects. Uh, those projects are the Chesapeake Square Apartments. These are, this is a, a um, 42 unit apartment complex uh, located in Chester. Additionally, parcel 24, uh, also in the Chester area, is a 12 unit apartment complex. The, uh, both units are, uh, will offer affordable housing opportunities and the and the design that you see there is the um, architecture for parcel 24, which will be constructed right next door to Cult Classic. Uh, the Graysonville Volunteer Fire Company received a, an approval for a, an almost 20,000 square foot uh, new fire station with a large storage building. Has, has the Queenstown Fire Department come? 
to you yet? No. Nope. Um, Kent Island Crossing will be um, on the horizon. Uh, we're looking at uh, that um, concept. We're looking at the Kent Island Crossing major site plan um, on the 8th of February. But to Patrick's point, you won't do the Queenstown. They have their own planning, right? In the town of Queenstown? It's in, it's in the right. town of Queenstown, right? No. It's in town limits where they're putting it, correct? I'm pretty sure. So it won't come before us. No. They have their own planning commission in town. If it's in the town limits, we wouldn't no. see it. Okay. Right. Um, so Kent Island Crossing, uh, that is a 100 and just about 150,000 mixed-use development with a senior living independent uh, housing facility as well. Uh, it is a combination of retail space and <coughs> office space and restaurant uh, area. Baybridge Marina, uh, we anticipate seeing that on a planning commission agenda in the coming months. That is a mixed-use development uh, with a 28 uh, duplex units and a 32-room hotel development. This project was able to move forward because of our jumpstart of the code update last year. And um, the commissioner is approving all of those updates to the code. Uh, Armored Storage also received a, uh, its growth allocation award for a 117,000 square foot three-story indoor um, storage facility, which we will clearly need with all of the residential projects that we uh, have on the books. Um, the growth allocation granted by this board held a lot of special conditions uh, by this board and by the Critical Area Commission. The applicant is currently working through those conditions to put forward a concept plan uh, before the Planning Commission, or I'm sorry, a, 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 finer major, a final major uh, site plan to the Planning Commission. They've already received concept review, but clearly there will be some changes because the size of that uh, structure has been altered in terms of its bulk. I am updating you on some of our solar projects. Uh, as staff works with uh, the codes that we currently have on the books, these are the projects that we have before us. The Jones Farms uh, Solar, which is indicated by the red star on our map. Uh, this map is our mapped approved utility scale uh, solar district. This is where the county permits solar development as a conditional use despite the Public Service Commission's opinion on our siting criteria, uh, there are applicants continue to uh, comply with our provisions. So, so they want to be good neighbors? So far. Okay. So uh, on the twos, on the communities, there's a bill in now, right, to expand that to five, correct? I, I don't know the nature of that bill where it sits right now. Um, it's just, it's... It's gotten read this week, I'm sure of that. So yeah, have you weighed in on that at all? I have not seen the community solar bill. We've been looking at the draft solar legislation that has been running through uh, Mako. That's, that's a train wreck, just let you know. That has become yeah, a train wreck. That is a train wreck there, but yeah. So this, but this other one, see, this is, this is scary too, because now they can gobble it up and we can't tax it. So they can do it in five acre parcels now instead of 
it's just it's another way with the camels getting his whole head under the tent now. So if you could keep an eye on that one, oh. I know we will on our end, but yeah, just to, from the zoning standpoint, because again, we, some of these things as they get larger, they're going to need, they should start to fall under needing buffers and things like that. We did weigh in on an early version, but I have not seen the final version. That yeah, we got, I'll have to look it up. I don't know if Chris got his email up, but if we got the house bill number okay. last night. I'll, so, I'll, okay, I'll, I'll get connect with, with Dom and. Okay, yeah. Uh, Cedar Lane Solar um, and Redline Solar, both indicated by blue and uh, yellow stars on uh, the map. Uh, those are two megawatt projects, so they are smaller in scope than the Jones Farm. The Jones Farm array uh, occupies um, three, over 300 acres, uh, but the, the other two are uh, 15 and 10 acres. Did they have to go back again because it's been so long since they got approved? Did they have to go back through PSC and get uh, approval again or what? No, not that I'm aware of. I know that Jones Farm had to come back for extensions. That's what I mean, Jones Farm. Yeah, Jones Farm had to come back to the Board of Appeals for extensions. Okay. But I don't believe that through the PJMQ that there's a shelf life as long as you're going through the, the review process. Oh, okay. It was sold since they've put in for this. Do they have to notify you or us? If the property was sold or if the, the applicant project, changes hands? The project changes hands. That happens frequently. Yes, it does. Uh, during a solar project review, uh, we need updated information, uh, which we do get, and at one point, we were looking at making sure that we could track down all the members of LLCs who were involved. So that's, that's the that's bill. So there's another bill in to address that now. It's under a guise of something else, but we've discussed. Good recall, all LLCs to have right. To all have LLCs have to say where they're at, right? Because right now you can hide. Behind. Right, and that's what our point was. Was well, that's what the solar companies are doing. They'll just keep bringing a new LLC, so you can't track them to get the A1 to get the SDAT information, so you can do the personal property on and, so. and outside countries are buying these. That's not good. And that has definitely been an issue. Our planning uh, commission attorney, Chris Drummond, has had his thumb on the pulse of that issue, and he's been uh, mentioning that as a problem for, for years. So. Additionally, here are some of the conditional use applications that uh, I had mentioned. Uh, these are three extraction operations. Uh, one is the R.B. Baker site. Uh, that is uh, pending a Board of Appeals hearing. The Planning Commission has already looked at the concept plan. Uh, the David A. Bramble, um, like the Baker operation, they're both expanding existing. The sustainable land use is a new operation uh, that is being proposed and is currently under review. Uh, that operation will be located in Ingleside. And additionally, we're looking at a new um, communication, telecommunications tower, a new cell tower um, uh, Yeah, Prospect Bay. We are seeing more of these. So um, the Prospect Bay uh, is going before the Board of Appeals at its, at its next meeting. Um, but we are getting a lot more inquiries. I think there is a renewed interest in making sure that the <coughs> The holes in the network are being covered, and I think that the um, competition between 
the broadband services that are expanding have prompted uh, an uptick in, in conversations about new towers. So I expect to see some more of those. I know Churchill needs another provider. I'm just one. happy that they have that tower there yeah. now. That used to just be a, a no, dark spot. I got news for you. <laughs> yeah. Oops, whoa. Okay. Uh, also on the books is the uh, Living Waters, the land bridge subdivision that will create uh, 10 new residential lots. Uh, Waterfront Marine uh, is a, an application that has a growth allocation project pending. That We've been working on that for a couple of years and it hasn't really come to fruition, but we anticipate that it will. Uh, that is a proposal for a uh, marine showroom, uh, marine sales showroom office and service with a pier, um, with oh, a, a boat lift. Graysonville. Yeah. Right uh, next to the Royal Farms, that Long lot Point. that goes into Long Point Road. Yeah. Yes. Um, and also uh, the water testing lab uh, in the, the business park. So staff is looking at all of these projects right now. And here are some highlights of redevelopment projects, also a key initiative in our comprehensive plan. Uh, looking at Chesapeake Chef Services, which is, uh, will replace the, that existing structure. That's so, by the Royal Farms, right? That is near. The other side of it, yeah. yeah. Uh, Paquin Design will be uh, repurposing the wet dog car wash space. Oh. Um, for, uh, That's the one off Hess Road? Yeah. Yeah, so it's the wet dog. Across from yeah. Winchester, Winchester Liquors. Yeah, okay. that's the yeah. one. Now he knows <laughs> Not where that I know at. where all the liquors are. <laughs> now he knows where it's at. <laughs> that didn't go well. <laughs> and then we Gurr. all <laughs> And then Gurr property uh, is repurposing a, um, a residence and there's going to be a re an enterprise car rental mm -hmm. on uh, that site, which is... I haven't heard anything yet. Okay. On the long-range planning front, uh, we have been reviewing, and what we do is when we've recently updated our comprehensive plan, all of the adjacent counties and our municipalities weigh in. Uh, we solicit their comments and their input and update our strategies accordingly. And the towns do likewise when they are updating their uh, comprehensive plans. They send them to our department and our planning commission reviews for consistency. So we've recently reviewed the town of Millington, uh, the town of Churchill and the town of Centerville's comprehensive plans for consistency. Uh, we are, I think, 75% of the way through our Chapter 14-1, our critical area uh, program update. We are right now wrapping up our annual report, and as a part of our comprehensive plan update, we are one of the only jurisdictions that has committed to reporting out on implementing our strategies. So our um, task force that met throughout the drafting of the comprehensive plan, um, they are going to, they're committed to continuing to meet on an annual basis to reassess all of the strategies 
that have been deemed high priority strategies and medium priority strategies to make sure that we are moving forward and can report out the success stories when we do implement um, uh, recommendations from the plan. We have launched the 2023 zoning code update. Uh, now that we're in 2024, we have completed the APKIG district uh, update. We're addressing some state and federal initiatives that have caused snags uh, for local citizens. Um, and those are the three uh, projects that you've asked us to uh, put forward and that you've conveyed to the Planning Commission. We are also prioritizing updating, obviously, the cannabis uh, language. We are going, we have to update the Forest Conservation Act and the solar regulations as um, the legislature, as the legislature tells us how we are going to deal with those <laughs> matters. Um, but also we want to address agritourism in our update and we are working closely with the Economic Development Department on a study. That brings me to um, interagency collaboration, which we've been doing a lot of that and working very closely with um, uh, Heather Tonelli and her staff in economic development and tourism. Uh, we are consulting on a lot of properties, uh, namely in the business park, uh, to attract new tenants. But we are also, our planners have put together a um, a frequently asked question sheet uh, relative to wedding venues, which are uh, which are uh, conditional uses. Um, this is a top priority for our tourism department, and it is a, a use that is promoted. So we are working together to make sure that we're finding the right spots, the right fit. Um, we're also working uh, with the department on a sustainable communities grant in Stevensville. Uh, because through these collaborative meetings that we've had, we've clearly identified parking constraints and a lot of other constraints in that neighborhood. So we're working together to address some of those issues. Um, and we're very excited to be partnering uh, with Heather and her team on the agritourism study uh, because we really do need to update our code to accommodate those uses. Uh, we're also working with Parks and Recreation on the skate park, which I find particularly exciting, and the Cross Island Trail expansion. Uh, Can you share with us um, where we are on that, on the skate park? How, at what point are we? Or I believe that a concept plan has been submitted to our department. Okay. So. Um, Furthermore, we're working with the Department of Public Works. It seems that we do work with them pretty frequently uh, on project review, but we're also working on our impact fee update. I know you've been waiting for that, and we've been looking for um, a means to expand the way that we are enabled to spend those impact fees. And we are currently working on, we've. Look, we're looking at legislation that will enable us to um, more effectively manage and utilize those impact fees that are collected. So um, I, I know that obviously there's a, a huge um, need for uh, MPDUs. And so with these 
these apartment complexes that are going up, the developers that are that are shaving off 10%, you know, to be uh, set at MPDU pricing, which is great. But um, my, I guess my question is, as far as impact fees are concerned, are we looking at um, adjusting those impact fees to encourage that kind of development? Our impact fee code um, incentivizes MPDUs already. So um, if there is a development that is providing on-site MPDUs, uh, then the impact fees are already waived for projects. Okay. Um, but we are working closely with Mark, Mike Clark and, and his team um, as we're updating the code and looking at affordable housing and looking at how that MPDU system actually works under lots of other circumstances. Plus the governor's bill is addressing it as oh, well. Oh, yes. The governor's bill, as I understand it, is a, is a lot more specific to urban housing and housing in proximity to um, the location stuff was, but the, density, but the density side will affect us. Exactly. So if, when the density side comes out here, then that affects the APFO and all that good stuff. So. Yes, and how we're going to be able to support that. Correct. Either on septic or with our... Utility. But yeah, but that's what I'm saying. It's, it pushes it into the towns which have no APFO requirement. So you could get 250 homes with no APFO money. So the whole county pays for it, which a lot of people don't realize. So. And a municipality, you mean? Correct. That is correct. Um, internally, our staff is um, busily working to implement a more <coughs> robust online citizen self-service portal. Right now, <laughs> you can pay invoices and you can check on the status on your, on your permit that you've submitted, but you can't get a lot of the detail. Um, what we are doing now is we are uh, working collaboratively with our uh, planning and permit techs, and we've identified a staff member as a systems administrator who is going to help us to um, get citizen and uh, consultant registration up and running also to get all of our permit applications populated online and that that's um, a heavy lift because we need to change all of our permitting forms because they have to be fillable online forms that are consistent from form to form and uh, not only do we have to look at our own forms but other agency forms so we're working on that as well and we're also looking for um, planning application submittal as, as relates to large plans, which accompany a lot of building permits and obviously plan reviews, uh, we currently don't have the, we have the software, I understand, purchased, but we don't have the infrastructure, like the equipment for the Supported. screens to support that software. And also, I'm not sure that our consultants have the software for the submittal at this time, but we are working toward that end as well. Uh, we have a much more robust uh, planning commission online presence in terms of uh, Beth Molaski helping us out to helping us to get the word out on all of the social media platforms about uh, meeting information. But we also um, now have access on the planning commission's website to all of the meeting materials um, in the same manner that that you ha you have on your. Um, 
and your website through, your, through the agenda service. We're working to do the same with the Board of Appeals. Um, and we are also busy succession planning. We are fully staffed, and here is our team. And we have a wide variety of um, tenure with the county on staff. We have a wide variety of skill sets. And quite frankly, we have a really positive team that works closely together, uh, supports one another, and helps us to get all of the projects and all of the um, permits issued and all of the special projects completed in a timely and expeditious manner. And I want to end this presentation with, if I can get it, it was moving ahead <coughs> fast and now I do it. Yeah, where am I? Okay. With this, which was kind of a, the culmination of a lot of hard work on the part of our planning commission and all of the staff members in planning and zoning who support all of our boards, we were honored to host the 40th annual uh, Maryland Planning Commission Association's conference. Uh, we hosted the conference, um, and it took, was held at the Kent Island Resort. Again, in terms of collaboration, uh, we worked with a lot, of, a lot of departments, but especially with uh, Heather Tonelli again, who helped us to put a robust tour of our county together to take planning commission members from across the state, around the county, to see some of our key uh, developments, to see some commercial developments, some mixed-use housing developments, solar and also um, an agritourism site. So we really well represented some of the successful um, implementation of planning reviews and planning projects in the county. Was very proud of that. Uh, Commissioner Corcorino gave the opening address, and I have to say that he really contextualized the history of the county and the citizen planner's role in upholding zoning and the very difficult review that our planning commission and board of appeal members have, have to do as citizen planners. And I think the cherry on the cake of the conference, which was all uh, really um, positive, was that our chair, our chairwoman of our planning commission was the keynote speaker at the awards ceremony, and our planning commission was awarded a citizen planner award, both our Planning Commission Chair, Sharon Dobson, for her leadership, and also the entire uh, Planning Commission for their hard work on the comprehensive plan, for grappling with you to successfully uh, update our, our comprehensive plan to anticipate how we might move forward with our uh, water and sewage, our, our sewage uh, capacity crisis. Um, but also, a lot of, on the positive note, a lot of streamlining that we uh, have put in place under Sharon's leadership um, has really just been a fine example of uh, teamwork and collaboration. So it was a positive way to wind up the year. We would certainly be remiss if we didn't mention uh, the folks behind the scenes that make that board uh, operate as well as it does. Absolutely. That I would be. They do all the hard. They do all the hard work up there making <laughs> decisions. A uh, quick question for you. Um, um, 
citizen-sponsored tax amendments. So you'd mentioned in your presentation we had one last year. Okay, and is there, when's the, the time frame or deadlines? February. First 10 day, uh, first 10 business days in February. Okay. So we're coming up upon that time frame now. Okay. Perfect. Thank you. Anybody other questions? Well, I, I wanted to thank you for <coughs> inviting me to speak at that. I think um, as I was preparing for the, the speaking points for that and doing the history on Queen Anne's County and what our citizen planners do, which I think a lot of people take for granted that those bodies have not really been in place for that long, right? And a lot of the issues that we face as commissioners, um, a lot of the problems that we're dealing with, with whether it's flooding in, in Cloverfields, um, whether it is uh, sewer down in, in Ken Island Estates, um, issues in, in Bay City, these are all developments that were put in place before there was even planning and zoning department. There's any citizen planners. The bridge opened and, and Nichols, David Nichols came in and he made five, like five or six subdivisions within eight years. Um, and the population of the county doubled basically in that period of time um, with these very small lots, like things that you would not be able to do today with the zoning that we have in place and with the citizen planners. But we're still dealing with the problems that were created by those. Um, it, it developments where they're still building houses because you know because of poor planning a long long time ago and their vested rights that they have to so I think people um, who have concerns about how Queen Anne's County is growing would do themselves well to learn some of the history and how it came about where we are and, and why it's important that we have the citizen planners and planning and zoning to have some cohesiveness to it so you guys do an excellent job so I was really I appreciate even more what you guys did after all of that research I did in preparing for that. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. How many folks attended that event? Oh, I, I don't know. Planners need. from across that came for the, was it a one-day conference? It was a three-day conference. Three-day conference. It was packed. It was a lot, a lot of people. Most of them were three-day. So, so how many think showed up? I don't know. Heather, do you know? So over 100. Oh, there, definitely. Hmm. I, think that, I think it was around 120 to 150 people. Okay. So that, that the big the new the big barn at uh, the Ken Allen Resort yeah. that's yeah. where it was. So that whole room was filled with tables. Okay. So it's pretty pretty large. It's several breakout rooms. Yeah. There were other spots. It was a lot. And, uh, our planning commission member Jeff Reese also volunteered to sit on the Maryland Planning Commission Association and is now representing the county on that board. So that's you're in discussions with Mako on some of that the critical areas legislation that's being proposed. So you're on top of that with Dominic. We had a okay. meeting uh, about that today. That's what I thought. Okay, just want to make sure. Yeah, Thank you. Perfect. Sorry I took so long. No. Oh, it's important, important stuff. stuff. <clears throat> Information, yeah. Thank you, Amy. Amy, thank you. Thanks, Amy. Very well. Madam Director. All right, Commissioners, we can, uh, we can jump back. We have uh, presentation number two. On page two, we have uh, Susan Alstrom, our human trafficking regional navigator for the Midshore region. And we have uh, Proclamation 24-02 for Human Trafficking Awareness Month. So, Susan, welcome. Thank you. I want to apologize for my late arrival. It's all good. No worries. Good. Thanks no for worries. coming. Time for this important event. So, I will present first. Sure, that's fine. So, thank you again for the opportunity to come and speak with you this evening um, regarding human trafficking in our region. Uh, this is Human Trafficking Awareness Month, and so I am hoping to present a brief, uh, very brief presentation on 
uh, Human Trafficking, and the Regional Navigator Program here in the state of Maryland. So basically, um, our Human Trafficking Awareness, I am the Regional Manager under this Regional Navigator Program. I work for For All Seasons, and For All Seasons is the Regional Navigator for the Midshore region, serving the five counties in our, in our region. And, oh, thank you. I was wondering how that was going to work. Yep, no problem. Okay. I think I can do this. Oops. So understanding human trafficking, just in brief, um, human trafficking involves the use of force, fraud, or coercion, which is essentially lies, manipulation, and threats to control another person for the purpose of engaging in commercial sex acts or labor against their will. And force, fraud, or coercion need not be um, present if it is uh, a youth under the age of 18, and that's one of the reasons why we are actively working this program. Um, there's no such thing as a child prostitute, and so we are um, working to make people more aware of some of the um, factors that go into qualifying uh, victims under the human trafficking um, arena. Um, and there is a high demand for what traffickers offer, whether it be labor or sex, and so it is actually um, a very lucrative endeavor. Um, it is, I'm just gonna jump ahead because we're a little, um, it's human trafficking is a $150 billion industry worldwide, and it is the second largest criminal industry in the U.S., only behind drug trafficking. So this is a tweet. I hope this will work. Was this one of the separate videos? Yes, it is. This brief video will give a little introduction to um, how human trafficking uh, shows up. My trafficker was my husband. There was no way I could reach out to anybody for help. We're scared. We're scared to run. We're scared to tell anybody what's going on. It was an incredibly violent situation. Human traffickers can be just about anyone from any walk of life. A lot of the uh, trafficking involves domestic servitude, hoteliers, restaurant owners, owners of massage parlors, agricultural farm owners. It can be a trafficker who tells a woman, I want to be your boyfriend, I love you, and if you love me, you're going to go out and have sex for money. psychological like that or it can be more overt and more physical. It can be hitting, abusing, keeping them away from any support systems. Trafficking doesn't know numbers. The victim can be male, female, transgender, anyone. 
that it happens all over America. I still see this attitude of it's just immigrants or it's just people in other countries. It happens to U.S. citizens so much more than people are aware. The natural stakeholders in this issue are certainly law enforcement, legal advocates, social service providers. There's other players involved as well. It is important to engage in the community because victims often don't self-identify. They don't come forward to law enforcement. Citizens in the community are the eyes and the ears. It's medical workers, it's educators, it's personnel at homeless shelters. We can't do this alone. No one has the capacity to provide every single thing that a victim or survivor of human trafficking needs. There has to be a support system within the community. Psychological counseling, shelter, and vocational education so they can reintegrate become a healthy individual. There's an intentional effort to get everyone together so we know how to share resources, we know how to work together, and to make sure at the end of the day, a victim becomes a survivor. So the important point that that video uh, shows us is that it crosses all boundaries. There are no boundaries. Uh, a trafficking victim can be old, young, rich, poor, black, white, um, male, female, etc. And the other essential thing that we need to recognize is that it takes citizens and collaboration between law enforcement and businesses and the community, social services, etc., in order to respond effectively. And that's part of what this Regional Navigator Program is providing. It's representatives in each of the uh, counties across the state so we can work together and identify both when there is an issue or a potential victim and also provide the appropriate services and response uh, individuals, um, the re appropriate response in terms of the law, social services, housing, whatever the case may be. Um, so human trafficking, traffickers <coughs> prey on people with vulnerabilities, those who lack legal status, live in poverty, et cetera, have limited access to education or health care. Um, our international conflicts, wars, climate emergencies, all of these things are disrupting people's lives, disrupting their homes, and so those factors make people much more vulnerable to trafficking. Uh, for instance, refugees leaving their country, they may find an opportunity through a trafficker who is um, recruiting them or um, enticing them. Uh, it would be an easy uh, thing to say yes if they're going to get food or housing or other, um, other supports in their mind um, through that trafficking arrangement. Um, so displacement and socioeconomic inequalities, people, uh, we do have cases of uh, familial trafficking where families are trafficking their children if they're in need of housing or food, again, or the substance abuse epidemic has instigated many instances where people will traffic a family member for drugs and or a trafficker will take advantage of those individuals who are addicted and bring them into the 
trafficking um, relationship, the trafficking scenario. Uh, here on the eastern shore, it is a very um, attractive area for trafficking. It, there's uh, a great deal of access to the major highways. We have the traffic corridors between large metropolitan areas. Route 50 is the corridor between you know, the whole tourists and vacation industry. Uh, we have international airports, seaports, truck stops, seasonal work. All of uh, poverty and wealth, great disparity in poverty and wealth, uh, casinos, sporting events, all of these enticements are also um, sort of the backdrop for uh, the prevalence of trafficking. Some of the types of sex trafficking that we see are Romeo pimps, or what we call boyfriending, where a um, person might appeal, you know, reach out to someone, a young person who's posted a video or on social media or through gaming and apps. They have access to individuals and they pretend to be a boyfriend, pretend to be, um, you know, befriending them and then draw them into a more uh, precarious situation or force them to have sex and begin threats and coercion, etc. cetera. Um, these types of trafficking uh, are Again, through exploitation of addiction or disabilities, uh, gang activity fosters trafficking activity. And CEO pimping, it is a business. Trafficking is a business. Traffickers are very sophisticated, and they can not only just show up in what looks like a, um, a massage parlor or a strip joint, but they are managing restaurants and utilizing labor and um, trading their um, activity through all kinds of entrepreneurial uh, venues. The internet and trafficking, the internet has created um, a, an explosion of child exploitation. Um, some of these statistics, 83% of active sex trafficking cases involved online uh, solicitation in 2020. After the post-COVID epidemic, you can just imagine how much that has increased with the increased use of uh, the internet for education and for um, communication. 65% uh, of traffic victims were recruited via the internet in 2020. And that uh, those rates were increasing back then. It's now 2024, and we don't have those specific statistics, but you can imagine how prevalent it is. This is another little video, a quick video, to demonstrate how young people can be so easily co-opted and brought into this situation. Oh, this is the video? Yes, sorry.
here. Oh. You had to cancel the last minute. But once you meet someone who works with, and he'll tell you more. You're not staying with me? I don't think maybe. I have to run a quick errand down the street and we're already late. Don't want to make a bad first impression, right? I know you're mature enough to handle it. I'll meet you right back here when you're done. Just let yourself in and help explain. You trust me, right? If someone is making you do something you don't feel comfortable with, you can get help. Contact the National Human Trafficking Hotline. Causing someone under the age of 18 to engage in a commercial sex act, regardless of using force, fraud, or coercion, is human trafficking under U.S. law. So as you can see, this is a typical scenario. Um, and one of the things that we are doing as regional navigators, and myself in particular, um, we've been doing, I've been doing informational, educational presentations in the community, in the schools, and I invite anybody who is interested in having us come and teach more to our uh, educators, our uh, medical workers, first responders, law enforcement, we're here to provide that service. Um, some signs of trafficking. Being aware is the thing that is most important because again, it takes uh, the citizens of community. Signs of trafficking can be symptoms of physical abuse or malnourishment, exhaustion, uh, if an individual is withdrawn or distracted, if any of their behavior changes, um, evidence of being controlled or restricted in terms of their own identity uh, documents or their phone. Um, if a young person ends up uh, in a relationship, has a relationship with an older individual or someone that you don't recognize, um, that can be a sign that something is uh, amiss. Um, appearing fearful, submissive, ner nervous, or paranoid. Uh, unexplained access to expensive items or money. Um, young people are, are, you know, they want what, what their friends have. And so one of the techniques traffickers use is to offer up an Amazon account or offer up things that they can purchase for them and it is very appealing to a young person. So the Maryland Regional Navigator Program, what we're here to do is to help facilitate the coordination of the response, to facilitate the coordination of collecting data and to improve <laughs> the information and services that we provide to uh, survivors and their families, to help facilitate the collaboration between the different entities throughout the state um, to help educate our communities about this problem of human trafficking, to track the data and to begin to build a more clear picture of how this is happening and where it is happening, and to ultimately, hopefully, eradicate the problem. And for all seasons, as I mentioned, we are the only rape crisis center um, on the mid in the midshore in the five counties. We have been actually doing this work for many years, but now the human trafficking aspect of it is a greater focus so that we can understand this specific, um, the specifics of this particular way in which this abuse shows up. We can provide all of these services or collaborate with our other partners in order to provide these services to victims and their families. We also have a, um, um, an open access program now where you don't have to have an appointment. You can come and walk into um, one of our offices and have an appointment that very day and get connected with a mental health provider. So anyone who is in this situation or concerned for another can come to our open access and, and reach us that way. Um, 
You may have seen some of our, our uh, billboards that are up lately, again, trying to get the word out to encourage people to get informed about human trafficking. And so we have a 24-hour hotline that is 24 hours, 365 days a week. You can contact us and to report or ask questions if you're concerned about anyone or any situation. Um, our English hotline and Spanish hotline is available. Um, and you can always go to our website, um, www.forallseasonsinc.org or we support survivors.org. And again, I am truly grateful for the opportunity to bring this to everyone's attention. It's a very difficult subject, but it is very important that we all begin talking about it and becoming more aware of its uh, prevalence in our neighborhoods and in our communities. Are our schools allowing you to go in and speak? We have not made that connection yet. So if have you tried to, uh, I believe we have tried to, but not necessarily under this particular education program that we have. Um, so that's next up on the agenda. I've been working with the Talbot Public Schools. I've been in the Caroline County Public Schools. So um, we would definitely like to come and, and provide this information to your teachers, staff, parents, and students. Contact the school board. Yes, okay. It's posted. I will do that. I like appreciate it. Yes, we encourage the, the internet safety piece is something that we as an agency have been working on to um, make a more robust educational program around that. Prevention starts with education, and so that is uh, the angle that we're taking. That's, that's our mission um, in, in regard to human trafficking, so I would appreciate that. We will, I will definitely follow up for being here. Yes, thank you. Susan, is, uh, is TikTok oh, absolutely. an issue? All of these social media platforms, absolutely. TikTok, um, obviously Facebook and Instagram, but um, any way that uh, an individual can access social media, and I apologize, I don't have the specific names right now, but the kids know. Ask your kids. <laughs> any of those platforms, Snapchat. there's a lot of, there's, Snapchat. Uh, Snapchat, yes, thank you, that's what I was trying to think of. Um, the other thing is gaming. Gaming is a clear access way to meeting people that you don't know. Um, all of the gaming apps. I think that's apps, a lot of parents really don't understand is the gaming. Exactly, and that's where the internet safety training comes in because parents need to be in touch with what their children are, what platforms they're using, who they're talking to, how they're using their um, their devices, and they have many. You know, we have the iPad, we have the right, the tablet, the phone, etc. And if if adults are not paying attention, then they are putting their young people at risk. Um, and that, that's not to threaten anybody. That's just to say we are eager to get this information out there, and we would welcome the opportunity to um, provide more information. Well, again, we're. Thankful that you came and shared with us. Do you mind if I read a proclamation Please for? Do. Um, that would be great. A couple things. I uh, I went to see the Sound of Freedom. Yes. And I would highly recommend that to anyone uh, 
and everyone to watch that movie. I assume it's on Netflix by now. It is, and uh, is. the one caveat with that film is we are, and it is very informative, um, but it does not emphasize the fact that it takes a lot of coordination and many, many, many people to respond to human trafficking. And it also is not way far away. Right. It's right here, and so that, gives a sense of how the, um, the, the lore or the vulnerability, how it can happen. Um, but we encourage people to uh, also keep in mind that it's not, it's not just overseas, it's here. Yeah. I did meet someone who unfortunately was kidnapped, if that's the right word, yes, and sure. was put Kidnapping into this, is a form and of force. they were able to escape but it took them a long period of time. And before I read the proclamation on Saturday, this is kind of ironic, I went to Annapolis to get this, and I have no idea how we got on this subject, but the cashier was, um, like she could be my daughter, she's like 25 years old, and she starts telling me about uh, the casino and her sister, um, was almost kidnapped in the parking lot in Arundel Mills. And, okay. So, this is real stuff. It is. and Especially again, for young girls. Yeah. I don't know how she ended up speaking with you about it, but that no, is no, no. very No, no, no. Different. Yeah, no, no, no. Different. But that it, that it came up. That you have a little story to tell. Yeah. That's what I mean. That and here you are. That's right. And we all have Sometimes stories to tell. Sometimes that's how God if works. We, yeah speak with our, our young people, yes. All right, this is a pro proclamation 2402. Whereas every year nearly 25 million men, women, and children are trafficked and deprived of their freedom, human rights, and dignity, and according to UMD School of Social Work, there's been over 1,038 reports of child sex trafficking screened by Maryland Department of Social Ser Services CPS screening units since 2013. Whereas human trafficking is a serious problem on the Eastern Shore, whereby traffickers use violence, threats, deception, and other manipulative tactics to force and coerce both young people and adults, boys and girls, to engage in commercial sex acts or to provide labor or services against their will, and whereas human trafficking is among the fastest growing criminal industry in the world, second only to drug trafficking. And whereas in the state of Maryland has enacted a comprehensive anti-human trafficking laws with a focus on criminal prosecution and victim support. And whereas Queen Anne's County recognizes the considerable moral and economic harm of human trafficking to our communities, our states and the nation, and recognizes that bringing a greater awareness of this problem will help victims. And whereas by bringing awareness to human trafficking within the midshore region of Maryland, we bring the victims hope and the natural born freedoms all human beings should enjoy. And whereas Queen Anne's County recognizes that increased public awareness and education within our organization will provide more opportunities to aid in the fight against human trafficking. And now, therefore, 
the County Commissioners of Queen Anne's County do hereby declare the month of January Human Trafficking Awareness Month and urge all citizens to actively work towards the eradication of human trafficking. Thank you for being here, Thank Susan. You very we appreciate much. it very much. Very much. And um, can we get a picture? What's that? Is that possible to get a photo? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, get a picture, yeah. Um, I think Chris is kind of busy right now. <laughs> Thank you very much for. And if I may, I'll leave this with someone. We um, can continue. We lost two for a brief second here. <coughs> I think they're using the facilities. So, um, Heather, come on. Yeah, we can. Yeah, just have Compass. Heather come on up. Heather, come on up. That's all right. It's okay. This is very casual. Yep. So we have uh, Heather Guerrero, our chief executive officer of the Compass Regional Hospital. She's going to give us a, an update this evening. So. Yes. So thank you very much for having me this evening. And I just want to thank the county commissioners for your continued support. You have always been incredible um, support to our organization over the many years we have been here. We've been here now since the 1985. So uh, I just wanted to give you an update. I haven't been in front of you all since before COVID now. So I was like, well, I better get in there and just let them know <laughs> what's going on and kind of give an update from last year, 2023. Um, we have continued to grow through COVID. COVID was obviously a difficult time for all of us, especially for healthcare workers. But we now have over 90 full-time employees um, at our organization in Queen Anne's County. And a lot of those jobs are higher level jobs, um, nursing, social work, physicians, um, and a lot of administrative help, like um, directors of finance and HR and things of that nature. Um, so we're a great employer for, for Queen Anne's County. Um, during um, COVID, we were given a donation of somebody who had passed away of COVID that we took care of his wife. Um, and that allowed us to be able to pay off our hospice center debt, which was amazing um, gift. Also during COVID, um, we did make the decision to shut down a three bed facility that we had in Chestertown in the, um, in the hospital. Uh, we had renovated an area there for Kent County residents mostly to be able to go there. But we also did renovations all through COVID to our hospice center here in Centerville, and we went from six bed occupancy to 10. Um, and with that, uh, we did not have the need for 10 beds here and additional three beds in Kent County. We were paying a lease to the hospital there and staffing it. Staffing has, has been an issue since COVID and continues to be, though we are fairly lucky with our staffing right now. So we decided to move all the staff here to Centerville and have this our regional um, hospice center. Um, 
we still do have a mortgage on our building, um, our office building, which we bought pre-COVID um, as well. That is right there on Courseball Drive, close to our, our hospice center. Um, you all did help us through the Economic Development Incentive um, Fund grant years ago to get some funds for that. Um, it was a vacant building that had been sitting there, so we thought that's awesome to be able to um, put some business back in that building. I also like to mention that we are caring for about 100 patients under our hospice services um, on any daily basis. We also initiated a palliative care program. Uh, that program is for patients who are not quite ready for hospice. Maybe they're seeking aggressive treatment still, or they have a prognosis of longer than six months to live. That has been an amazing program. We do not get any reimbursement for that currently. There is not a benefit like there is for, for hospice uh, through um, Medicare. There's very, very little private insurance monies as well. But as a state organization through hospice across the state of Maryland, we are trying to work on trying to get a benefit for palliative care because that is helping our hospital partners be able to keep people out of the hospitals, keep going back for ER visits, um, and um, obviously reducing the cost of healthcare in the hospital setting. So we'd like to be a good partner um, with our hospitals. We also implemented a full-time liaison nurse at University of Maryland in Easton to partner with them. She is there Monday through Friday. <coughs> Um, eight hours a day, and she is helping to facilitate patients that need hospice or palliative care, not only in our county, but we partnered with uh, Talbot Hospice as well as Coastal. So it's the entire Eastern Shore um, hospice contingency. We have our upcoming gala that I just wanted to tell you all about. It is actually this Friday at the Beach Club. Um, that is a, one of our major fundraising events uh, for the year. We do have to fundraise about $850,000 a year uh, to offset the expenses because, again, nobody is turned away based on ability to pay. So it costs about $250 a day to care for somebody at our hospice center, but <clears throat> if somebody can pay $5 or $10, that's what they pay. So we have to fundraise the additional funds. Also, if somebody is uninsured, um, we take care of them free of charge. And just to give you an idea, statistically, uh, last year we cared for 316 patients, and we care for people in assisted living homes across the county as well as uh, skilled nursing facilities, and the majority of patients are in their home setting. That was 167. We did care for 120 in our hospice center here in Centerville. Another uh, really important program that we have that is, has no reimbursement at all is our grief services. And I'm sure you all have heard about how much we do with grief services, but we are in all the county schools providing gr free grief services to anybody who's experienced a loss. Uh, and that enables children not to have to leave to go to counselor's office, but our counselors will be <coughs> back during their school day. Also, some kids don't have transportation or, uh, frankly, an adult who might take them to counseling after school hours. We also have group counseling. We do individual counseling of anybody who has experienced a loss. 
um, part of our building um, where our hospice center is, is our Hope and Healing Center. So we have uh, counseling rooms there. We do some alternative therapies with, with people. Um, so it's, it's a very nice you know, setting, um, calming setting for people to come there. Um, and again, that is all free of charge. So we have to fundraise 100% of that. And we also did provide grief um, group support in some of the different agencies within the county. Uh, we did grief groups at Channel Markers um, and Chester Y because they had experienced a loss and their staff needed some, some support. Do you all have any questions for me? I'd, more so just a statement, you know, um, what hospice does for for our community uh, over the years and, and in those last few days uh, for a person who's suffering and, and then the extension, of course, to the family and, and understanding what they're going through. Um, often wonder, um, the folks that you hire, is it mandated that they have wings? Right. <laughs> yeah. They're well, amazing. Right, it's true. Um, if we, we do great hiring, but if we hire somebody that is not cut out for it. They either decide really quickly or we decide quickly and they don't stay on board because it's just that imperative. Guys do an amazing job. I don't think, I think all of us know somebody who has um, been touched by the services that Compass does. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jack. All right, well, it was nice to see you Thank all. You Thank, Thank you for coming. Thank you, Take care. Thanks, Heather. Good luck on your event Friday. Okay, commissioners, that is all of the presentations we had for you this evening. We can uh, turn to tab number three. We do have some new business and some action items for your consideration this evening as well this evening. So first up, uh, tab three, item one, pages one through three. We have a letter of support for a grant that uh, the Kennard Alumni Association is pursuing. They are seeking grant funding to employ an executive director to manage the operations and programs of the Kennard African American Cultural Heritage Center Museum. I entertain so a motion. Move, I move to execute the letter of support for Kennard Alumni Association to secure a grant funding for an executive director position. Second. I have a motion and a second. Any further discussion? I see none. All in favor? Aye. Opposed? 4 0. Thank you, commissioners. Item two on page four. Uh, this is the uh, annual Bay Bridge Run 2024 letter of support. Uh, it is scheduled for Sunday, November 10th, 2024. And as you know, we've worked successfully with Corrigan Sports and provided uh, logistical support through emergency services and other departments. And uh, in years past, we want to continue to provide that support and host, host the event. Support. Second. I have a motion and a second. Any discussion? All in favor? Aye. Opposed? So moved. Okay, thank you, commissioners. The, oh, November 10th. Okay. Yeah, November 10th, 2024. Item three on pages five and six. Uh, this is from the Board of Education. This is for the Queen Anne's County Public Schools Annual Gala Awards uh, Scholarship Event. And that is on March 25th, 2024 at the Prospect Bay Country Club. And this is a request for a sponsorship uh, for that event. 
We did platinum last year. Last year we did the platinum. I move to sponsor the Queens County Public Schools 21st Annual Gala in the amount of $1,000, uh, the platinum sponsor. We have a motion and a second. Any questions or discussion? All in favor? Aye. Opposed? So moved. Thank you, Commissioner. Very well. Okay, our next two items. Um, item four on pages seven through 23. This involves the rural legacy priority area for this coming grant cycle. And we have uh, Donna Landis-Smith and Joe Pippen up here. So each year we have to select a one of the rural legacy areas, either Land's End or Foreman's Branch for, um, for a application for grant funding in one or the other of those rural legacy areas. And I believe we're recommending this year the Land's End area. To select the Lands End Rural Legacy Area as priority for the FY 2025 funding. Second. We have a motion and we have a second. Um, do you want to do just a, a brief? She uh, needs a lobbyist. She don't need money on this one. She needs a lobbyist on the next one. That's where she's going. Oh. She's going to earn her money on the next one. Oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, and Jack is correct. We don't put in a county match for this. This is all straightforward state money. State. And our budget is going to be probably about a third of what it was this past year. So unfortunately, we're not going to have as much success with this program as we did last year. Joe, well, tell them what the totals that we got for each. And both areas got funded last year. Mm -hmm. Last year, we had a total of seven farms for 611 acres. And the total money for that was roughly $2.4 for seven farms last year. And that was with no county investment. So we're looking at roughly probably about $900,000 this coming year. Just an estimate. All the budgets haven't been approved yet, but that's what they're estimating. All right, we have a motion and we have a second. Just, the Land's End, is that where the, the Land's End Beach is? is yes. That yes, it goes from 213 out at Spaniards Neck Road all the way down to the end of Conquest, all the way up to Rolf's Wharf on 213. It's about 15,000 acres in that area. And that be that particular beach there, which is very small, that's the counties where the bus turns around? On which side? On it's the south end. side? At the end of Land's End Road. It's just a, it's just a part of the road right away where it ends. Yeah. It's, it ends land. It's Land's well, End Road. It ends Land's End. Land's End. Yes. That is oh, actually a part of the county yeah. road. It is. Yes. It is. Okay. Yes. It's very small. Yeah. Come up with that name. Yeah. <laughs> All those in favor? All those in favor? <laughs> Aye. Opposed? So moved. Thank you. Thank you, commissioners. Okay, item five on pages uh, 24 and 25. This is the Maryland Agricultural Land Preservation Fund Matching Funds Program for Queen Anne's County. And there is a request here for some additional general fund contributions in addition to the uh, agricultural transfer tax and the solar personal property tax. Together they equate to 217,000, I believe, and change. And I believe we wanna get our commitment up to uh, $1,333,333, which will bring another additional $2 million uh, into the program for, uh, for, this, um, for these easement acquisitions. So that would give us a total of $5.133 million. 
I move to approve $217,945 bag transfer tax and personal property tax from solar plus an additional $1,115,388 of general funds towards the mouth matching funds program. Second. We have a motion and we have a second. Now you're so how's the new guy working out? Not good? Okay, well, I guess you should stay longer then. Sorry. If I could retire tomorrow, I would. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot say enough about Joe Pippen. He has absolutely stepped up to the plate. He, you know, he has picked up on this very, very quickly. He is my right-hand man now. And I'll tell you, um, we are getting ready to be slammed with easements this year. Record-setting number for the state and for Queen Anne's County. Just to give you um, clarification, I was told that this memo wasn't really clear on how we arrive at this money. So when we talk about matching funds and what uh, Jay Falstead talked about, you know, getting a good return on our dollar investment. So every dollar that the county puts towards mouth preservation easements, the state will give us $1.50 in return with a maximum of $2 million. So if we send in $100,000, they give us $150,000. If we send in a million dollars, they were going to give us an additional million five. So the maximum that we can put in is $1,333,333, which is a return of $2 million from the state in addition to what every county gets equally. And our initial allocation of $1.8 million, that's what every county is getting in the state of Maryland, all 23 counties it's going to start basically with 1.8 million. And then we add in the 1.3 million if you all approve that of county money, which gets us the additional $2 million, which brings our total to 5.1 million and change. If you were to approve that additional $1,115,000, and Jeff Rank can give you um, an idea of where we're at with the general fund and how that looks um, fiscally. That would get us nine farms this year, which would be 1,323 acres. And Jack, you always ask me what? Yeah. What are we going to get in second round? So the second round, I know, sorry. So the second round means the, the, we started out with $95 million statewide that gets chopped in half. So the 43 million and change gets divided among the 23 counties. There are five counties, four counties, that are not participating that have zero applications. So their $1.8 million goes back to the state automatically. And there will be other counties, for example, um, Worcester County had one application. So they wouldn't need their full amount? May not. Okay. It just depends on the acreage and sure. what they get. So whatever they don't use of their $1.8 million gets sent back to the state. If you have a farm that needs $1.65 million, that $150,000 goes back to the state. So that accumulates into a pot of money. And then the state looks at discounts. And what I mean by discount, it's what the landowner has asked for compared to the appraised value. And each property is appraised by two separate appraisers, paid by the state. So it's a very good, thorough, comprehensive look at properties. And in the past, if we're right around 50% of what the landowner is asking for compared to the appraised value, for example, if a property appraises for $10,000 an acre, 
and the landowners asked for $5,000 an acre, that's a 50% discount of the appraised value. The state looks at those discounts and starts taking their pot of money that they've taken back money, and they say, oh, there's a farm in Queen Anne's County that's at a 55% discount. We're gonna take that out of the 12 million. There's a farm in Caroline County that's at a 54% discount. We're gonna fund that out of the farm. So they keep going down the list. So they look at the biggest discounts possible to get the best bang for their buck for their spending their money. Traditionally, Queen Anne's County, Caroline County, and Kent County always do very well because we take such low asking prices compared to appraised value. And they've been hovering right around that 50% mark. Well, we got our appraisals back, and I can't say what they are because that's not public information, but we're averaging about 60% of the appraised values. The director of MALF has told us that we may get all 20 of our farms funded. Wow. Which would be, wow. Un it, it would be, absolutely. It would be absolutely historic. I mean, yeah. If we don't get 20, we're gonna be darn close to it. Yeah, eat that, Carroll County. Right, <laughs> well, and we are officially in second place, officially. <laughs> and that we still have 11 farms to settle. So, the potential that we have with what we have in front of us, plus the potential of what we may get in July from our second round offers would be unprecedented for Queen Anne's County. And I'm so glad that you gave me Joe Pippen because we are gonna have to really work to get those done, which means surveys, title policies, baseline inspections, pictures, reports. I mean, it is a, I usually do an average of six farms a year you're talking 27. Yeah, this is huge for us, huge. I mean, this is gonna be, and the state has more money than it's ever had since the program started in 1977. So this, this could be a banner year for Queen County. Well, you're Anne's not County. positioning yourself very well. I'm gonna go out with a banner. Let, let you go. <laughs> I am gonna so go out with She's gotta stick around for a while. Remember that longer. conversation you and I had, Joe, about you'll let us know when you are ready, yeah. then we can let her know? Yeah, yeah, okay. no, that's not happening. Hey, you can offer me an early out anytime you want to. <laughs> we'll talk, Jeff. <laughs> so that's, that's where we're at. But right now with what we have in front of us, we would have the ability to do nine farms out of the 20 for approximately 1,300 acres, which is more than I've ever done so in a single so year. You mean the acres? Yeah. That would be 2,700 acres. That would be an absolute record, yes. We're, Carroll County, we're, we just figured it up today, we're what, 11,000 acres behind Carroll County? Yeah, I got Carroll it. Carroll County has their own county program. They have a, a single source that comes through that they fund their own easements over and above mouth. Yeah, if they gave us the whole state allocation, we could wipe everybody yeah, off of our list. Pass this around for some light reading. How many acres does Carroll County have? Uh, Carroll County has... 46,147. Uh, this is just mouth acres. That's not all preserved acres. That's mouth, right. Yeah, that's just totally. mouth. So we've got 35,000 and something. Now, countywide, we're at almost 90,000 acres. By the time these settle, we'll be at 90,000 acres, hands down. So we're only 10% away from our comprehensive plan's goal of 100,000 acres. Right. Which, if we get this, Plus what we have still in the pipeline for Rural Legacy, oh, we're gonna knock that out, no problem.
It won't be in my time, but Joe will knock it out in the next few years. <laughs> right? I'm still asking for my 1% commission. Any other questions or discussions? All right, so we have a motion and we have a second. All in favor? Aye. Opposed? So moved. And if Mr. Moran was here, he would have been an aye as well. Yes. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's certainly something we're very proud of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we, we're working very hard. Thank you. We'll see you guys again for a while. We're going to give you the update on July. Definitely. Okay. I guess you can just keep going. It's perfect. Hey, Donna, can you send us a, a copy of this? Uh, Annual report? Yeah, that. Uh, yes. Or, yeah. You need this one back? No. Okay, we'll keep that one. Okay, yeah, thank you. Copy it and send it in. Certainly. Right. I guess we'll keep going. <laughs> okay, uh, item number six on pages 26 through 30. This is for the Cross Island Trail traffic signal at Love Point Road. This is a contract uh, to put in a uh, hazard identification beacon at Love Point Road, Maryland 18, at the Cross Island Trail right there uh, south of the uh, Ken Island High School. Contract amounts $94,820.25. I move to authorize the Department of Parks and Recs to contract with Scotty Duncan to install a hazard identification beacon at Love Point Road and across Cross Island Trail intersection in the amount of $94,820.25. Second. Why is it DBW? Wouldn't DBW, they don't handle this? This is you? Because it's a trail. Because of the trail. I'm curious. No, they handle so, all so, the traffic things. So. So, so where did this, this, this stem from? I mean, I know we're a see something, say something reactive county, right? So, so how did we get here? Well, um, this has been kind of in the works for a while, to be honest with you. Um, it was a request by, um, by one of our officials. Okay. Um, how it came about. We also got some done at, at some other sites as well. So it was kind of a logical progression to, um, to get all of our trails along the Cross Island Trail similar. So County so Roads has a different function meaning that um, their hazard identification um, beacon is a constant flashing. The state requires that it's a push button ones. So that's why you'll see uh, a different one for what we're asking will be push button. So someone will come off the trail, off the high school, they'll push that button because they want to cross and go to Terrapin Park. Correct. Okay. And so by pushing that button, what happens? Flashing light. Okay. Should. 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 <laughs> Should stop, okay. and then they would allow. You All right. Know, folks so to I think I've solved our problem with uh, folks exiting the school. I'm just going to put a piece of tape on that button um, for 20 minutes as the kids are exiting out of the high school. I saw that letter. Is, <laughs> is that coming in? Or we could move it down closer to the intersection. Anyway, um, and solve two problems. Well, we have a motion and we have a second. Uh, have a quorum. Yep. Let's go ahead and vote without them. Yep. All in favor? Aye. Opposed? So moved. One absent. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Chanley. Appreciate you being here this evening. Thank you. Um, yeah, that's a good idea. So let's, um, the, the WBOC, the desk uh, item. Breezeway desk item, let's jump to that. So, George, sure. get home. Okay, uh, desk item number one. This is a request for the reinstatement of, channel, of uh, WBOC channel 16 on the Breeze Line channel lineup. 
So we have a draft letter here to be executed by the county commissioners uh, to, to, to request Breezeline reinstate WBOC in their channel lineup because obviously we've had a lot of complaints yes. and we want to see if we can work with Breezeline and WBOC to get them back on our local channel lineup. I move to execute the letter to Breezeline for reinstatement of WBOC on Breezeline channel lineup. Second. We have a motion and a second. Um, so thank you very much for reaching out and doing that homework uh, and, and getting us to where we are today with this letter. Um, all in favor? Aye. Okay. But real quick, Todd, can you, like, five-second synopsis of what it's, it's a contract negotiation, correct? Between it is a, it is a contract negotiation at this point that yeah. they came to a stalemate, much like they do on other cable channels, right? It is. Um, I mean, some of the information is proprietary, um, and I don't know all the details, but obviously, uh, Breezeline just didn't kick WBOC off of their lineup. There is negotiations right. going on between okay. the two for retransmission fees. Uh, Breezeline uh, is basically a provider in Queen Anne's County. We are completely surrounded by Comcast. You know, all around Queen Anne's County, um, uh, WBOC is in their lineup. We all know that Comcast is coming to Queen Anne's County soon. We're working on a franchise agreement with them right now. So I think it's beholden on Breeze Line to keep uh, WBOC right. in their lineup because they'll be coming with Comcast right. uh, soon. So uh, it's, just, it's just a negotiation between the stations and the... Uh, and but this clearly state spells out our position. Uh, uh, as uh, the commissioners here in Queen Anne's County, and obviously we hear um, the disappointment from the citizens and 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 your persistence as well, uh, George. So, um, yep. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. So we'll sign the letter and we'll send it out. Yes. <laughs> so do we. Great can be. I mean, Todd can be very. Uh, He's a persuasive. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We'll work. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Good night. We'll say, well, people will just switch to Comcast. Well, we have a lot of longtime subscribers yeah. to Breeze Line and yeah. their predecessors, so it's, yeah, it was a big Sorry about that, Heather. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, our last um, non-desk item is item number seven on pages 31 through 33, and this is for the Chesapeake Bay Business Park uh, Broadband Access Project Vendor Approval, and this is a... Um, uh, a project that is funded through the Economic Development Fund. Uh, was, um, uh, proposals were solicited through the uh, procurement policy. We received two applications, and I believe we want to award this, this project to extend broadband to Chop Tank Fiber uh, for Oh, uh, sure. I move to approve Chop Tank Fiber as the vendor for Queen Anne's County Economic and Tourism Development's Chesapeake Bay Business Park Broadband Access Project and disbursement of 71201 for the cost of the project. Second. We have a motion and a second. Question. The business park, who owns it? KRM Development. Um, so would I be out of, uh, is there anything that they're kicking in for this? No, no. So, this is a way for us in order to provide the infrastructure that the current businesses need as well as for a recruitment tool for new businesses to come in because uh, they have heard that the existing service is not sufficient enough and many of the companies complain all the time and 
So okay. this is just our way to, to make it happen so that we can recruit businesses so, to come okay. in. Okay, so we can recruit. So I know it's a great um, recruitment and retention. Um, but is, this is the Upper Shore Regional Project. This is the Royal Maryland Economic Development. Yeah. So, so this, we're not putting this well, in. This, yeah, I, I this understand. I, I guess I'm just... Want some skin in the game. Yeah, I want some skin in the game from KRM. You know, well, I think but, they've. I think based on their tax base up there, they've had skin in the game for quite a few years in Queen Anne's County. Okay, in, in my mind, I mean, and, and that that's true. And that taking it sense. to ten gig is is a huge. I mean, everybody in a business park is at ten gig now. We're not, right. and we really should. I think the only one up there is Jeremy, right? Jeremy, yeah, yeah RTI, he but he paid to do his himself. own. So we're oh. paying for the infrastructure to go around the circle. Each individual business that wants to tap in there, they'll have to pay to connect to their building, but that's right. know, not much of anything. Let's check, remember, we do the roads in there. So it's yep. really our right-of-ways are dealing with. Yeah, the roads, and there's a lot of other, I mean, yeah. it's not exclusively KRM. There's other businesses right. in there as yeah. well. I mean, they have a lion's share, but there are other businesses. Right. Some of the buildings are individually yeah. owned. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah, that's right. So. Yeah. Didn't okay. uh, and they applied. They went through the process through the Upper Shore with the other vendors, and it was one that was chosen. So, I mean, that's, that's what I'm saying. It's Patrick. Thank you. Oh, is that what you were going <laughs> to <Yeah>. say? <laughs> uh, All right. Didn't the prior commissioners develop that business park? Initially, yes. yes. And then sold it off. Yeah, it was a it was a it was a very forward thinking of those commissions. Yeah, industrial park projects. It's yeah, a great industrial park. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I actually looked at office space there, and I was really um, impressed with the quality, the pricing, everything. I I I wasn't just not the internet. <laughs> well, I didn't get that far. <laughs> I didn't get that far. All right. So if there's any. Any more discussion now? All right, so we have a motion and we have a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. And opposed? All right, so moved. Your day started with a meeting at 9 o'clock this morning. Yes, it did. Go home. <laughs> hey, real quick, right Heather. <laughs> so where are we on all of the Upper Shores? Is this one of the last ones left? Other than the 4-H park, I know that's its own. Uh, the 4-H park has moved along really well. They only have, I think, $40,000 left of the $1.2 million. And awesome. then Speaking of that, in the 4-H park, I, something I think we need to do is we, we need to get um, some signage up about the improvements that were done for the 4-H park in time for the 4-H fair, so people, yeah. understand. people understand some of that great idea. Brought yeah. in there. Come, come see our, come see our uh, new yeah. renovations and improvements. Yeah. And I guess i got to get with you anyway, because Faith reached out to me about some additional stuff that we have to look at going into budget that may cross over the lines of the grant. I don't know if she said anything to you. Or... No, they right. mentioned looking for um, stadium seating there, but outside of this money. Right, okay, all right. I'll talk to you about it. Good night. You do look well, while, while Heather's here, let me just cover uh, desk item number three. This is a <laughs> letter of support for oh, phase two of the Baltimore Tech Hub. <laughs> and this is in reference uh, to the phase two Baltimore uh, Tech Hub application and Queen Anne's County's participation as a non-lead consortium member. I move that Queen Anne's County support GBMC's efforts to apply for phase two funding of the Baltimore Tech Hub and sign the letter of support. Second. We have a motion and a second. Eddie, take, you just do a... Do the elevator version of it? Uh, just that we have participated since they did get the first round designation, and it, it was pretty prestigious that they got it. 
Um, we've participated in the weekly <coughs> calls and looking for ways for Queen Anne's County to participate because we are part of that right. region. Um, and there, there are a few ways which I outline in the letter and we're gonna continue to work with them because they have some existing programming and funding that we don't have, you know, some of the larger counties. But there's no reason why Queen Anne's County can't ride on those coattails and, and try to get a piece of whatever it is, whether it's funding and or just programming for technology and workforce development and artificial intelligence. They're looking to use artificial intelligence in biosciences and developments of drugs and things like that. So it's pretty high tech, way above my understanding, but it'd be really cool to get uh, companies like that here in France. Right. right. All right, we have a motion, we have a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Thank you very much. Thank you, Madam Thank Director. You. <coughs> Thank you, Heather. All right, and our last item, commissioners, is desk item two. This is the agreement of sale for the uh, uh, former Eastern pre-release unit property in uh, south of Church Hill, 80 acres, uh, for $1. And uh, for your consideration this evening, this has to go to the Board of Public Works for final approval. Uh, I move to execute the agreement of sale for the former EPRU property to the county in the amount of $1. Second. We have a motion and a second. Questions? No? I know we've kind of beat this up. We're ready to go. All in favor? Aye. Opposed? So moved. Okay. Thank you, commissioners. We look forward to the Board of Public Works meeting, and I think right now we're 28th. looking at probably February 28th at the earliest, so um, I'll keep you abreast of that. Um, and one last thing I just want to mention in the informational section of the book, we do have the, uh, a copy of one of the Maryland Road Special Assessment Road Improvement Public Hearings, uh, the information package that went out to the residents down there. Uh, that hearing is scheduled for next Wednesday evening, uh, January 31st, 7 p.m. at the United Communities Firehouse. So I, I will need a quorum of county commissioners there for that hearing as the roads forward. At the firehouse, not at the firehouse. At, yes. at the firehouse. Right. Yeah, we'll we'll uh, next Wednesday. Next Wednesday. Should have a calendar invitation on your e calendar. Yeah, shouldn't take long. Yeah, we do if they've got anything. Yeah. No, nothing there. To convert Maryland Avenue. Have we signed up? Okay. Don't even make him read it. They always bring the meeting to the people when we do. If Bruce is down there doing something. Well, that's all the action I've had this evening, so. Okay, um, and we don't have it. anyone signed up and nobody's online <clears throat> for press and public comment. So we'll fly through that. Um, we'll round go. table. Round table. You're good. Chris, anything? Um, I attended the uh, United Communities Volunteer Fire Department installation of officers um, this past weekend. Um, always a great event. Um, all the volunteer fire departments, they're, they're, they're great. They have their own little family. They take care of themselves, but they also take care of, of the community. Um, and I was you know, thinking that as we have more people who move to here, right, there's a lot of people moving here from jurisdictions that have paid uh, fire departments, right? They don't know about volunteer fire departments. And so they also don't know um, how important it is to be donating to the volunteer fire departments, or it's a great, a uh, place that they can get active um, and join the fire department, uh, whether it's their kids who want to be cadets um, or they want to even just volunteer for the, for the auxiliary. Um, so public service announcement for those who are listening, uh, <laughs> find out, you know, which one is your local volunteer fire department. Um, if, see what you can do to help them be active. Make sure you're donating 
money, it's really important. I, there's tax benefits to being active. At the, is, you know, there is. You got property tax benefits. You got sure. low SEP retirement yeah. benefits. I mean, maybe well. we should have QACTV do you know a, a segment be, on that, that sometime be good, soon. It's been a while. On your list for, to encourage you know yeah. volunteerism and, and, and yeah. donation, so that for all of the the fire departments, you know, and you get to ride around on a fire truck. So if you join, that's that's also a cool benefit of doing it. With Santa, Don't, you get to do it with Santa sometimes. Th that's right. You can yeah. do it with Santa, right? So I just want to remind people about that because I do know as, as people move here, they, they don't realize that. Yeah. They don't realize that is a, and it's a tremendous, not just a benefit to the citizens that we have, people who are literally willing to get up in the middle of the night and run into a fire. While you're uh, running out. While you're running out. They're right? running in. Uh, yeah. They're running in and they're doing it, you know, basically for free. Um, but you, if you come from an area where you have, have a paid, you know, fire department, you don't understand that, right? Yeah. So we owe them a huge uh, debt of service, and, and you know, as we all know, sometimes the volunteers they lose their lives, you know, in that service. And so I think we need to always always remember them. And it's always I you know it's something we talk about a lot and try to do what we can for the fire departments. But whenever we attend these uh, installation officers, it really sort of brings it home for you, mm -hmm. uh, all, all that they do, um, and, and how important that is. Well, wow. and, and to that end, is, is what really brings it home is at the installations, they show a video typically that a shows everything they've done for dust, the year, yeah. the calls, and, and that. And that really, to me, that always makes it hit home when you see yeah. um, out there in the snow, the rain, or whatever the case may be, you know, doing that job, like you said, for basically nothing. Yeah, absolutely. So. And they were out there a lot these past couple days yeah. in the snow <laughs> with yep. everybody thinking they can drive. Yeah. Speaking we down the road with ice years patches ever. everywhere. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they've, they've been busy out in the cold while everybody else was staying warm. Um, so that's it for me. Patrick? I echo Nothing. everything that Commissioner just said. I had the honor of going to uh, Centerville's installation right here on Saturday. Bruce, has um, President Faust, Billy Faust, or Dawn gotten a hold of you about what they were just alluding to about doing a, a service video for the volunteer fire departments? Uh, no. We were contacted, though, to do a story about Southersville and their 100th year coming up. Yes. But that's definitely a, a, another video that we could definitely make also. Well, there certainly would be, that would certainly be a nice segue into, yeah. you know, a, a, you know, informational thing for so, QAC Channel 7 to share. So if anyone from the FEC is listening, if you could shoot us an email about what we're talking about, about doing a, a video that can go throughout the, the nine departments and into the schools to let the kids know for, for uh, career and technology uh, that there's um, firefighting and EMS. Um, they just wanted to do like a minute or two, so. Absolutely, and we'll, we'll be proactive. We'll reach yeah. out and see if we Thank can get you. rolling. Thank you. Anyhow, I had a I had a great time. Uh, I was actually had the honor, which I never have, of swearing in the officers. That was my first time. Very cool. And they got they were rubbing <laughs> it in, and they go, "Moran knows how to do this. You're going to know how to do it, McLaughlin." <laughs> so, so it was it was great. And I just wanted to give a shout out to uh, Chief Davis and uh, what they've been through as a family, and thank you for your. Your, your dad and your years of dedication to our county, and um, just thank you for your support on that. I have nothing, so. Uh, uh, motion. We, we, 
<laughs> Archie has something. You looked at me like, like I'm supposed to have something. That was a like a surprise. <laughs> uh, actually, I do. I do have one thing. I do have one thing. So uh, it's no surprise that our Baltimore Ravens are playing in the AFC Championship game. Thanks to so you. So for you folks in our listening audience and present, if you are a Ravens fan, if you're not a Ravens fan, that's fine. But um, it's it unprecedented that the the Ravens since their what 1996 when they showed up in, in our in our city this is the first time they've ever hosted an AFC championship game since the Colts back in 1971 so go Ravens and I'll entertain a motion to adjourn motion to adjourn second all in favor aye, aye. <laughs>